My parents came here with nothing. Hospitality was their currency. And I didn't really embrace or understand what they were doing. Everything was done out of necessity for me, like visually, you know, through optics. They told me they were doing this to make a better life for me and my brother and our family. And then I studied business. I worked in finance. And sorry, I'm going on a huge tangent, but I came back into this industry because I loved service, hospitality, the creative, just ultimately the people. From StudioPod Media, this is the Muddler Podcast. The Muddler exists to tell stories behind your favorite cocktail bars. Cocktail bars become beloved by their patrons for many different reasons. Everything from the vibe, friendly service, convenient location, great music, and of course, the delicious, well-crafted cocktails. But each bar has its own unique story, why it exists and how it came to be, as well as the cocktails made and who actually serves them. I'm TJ Bonaventura, and I'm the host of The Muddler. On each episode, we'll sit down with the owners and bar managers behind some of the most innovative and forward-thinking bars around. Each season will center around cocktail bars in a specific city. Up first, San Francisco. Before we get started, I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Golden Rule Spirits. So Golden Rule Spirits is a producer of two canned cocktails, the Old Fashioned and the Margarita. I know what you're thinking, canned cocktails, not really my thing, but I'm telling you guys, if you like a good crafted cocktail, you're going to love these drinks. They're perfect for going to the golf course, for bringing them on the road, vacation, camping, and they are dangerously good. They're about the quarter size of a normal can. You pop these bad boys open, you throw them over ice, and you're good to go. So again, Golden Rule Spirits, goldenrulespirits.com, at Golden Rule Spirits on IG. Check them out. The first thing that stands out about the Dorian is simple. It is big. Located at the busy corner of Fillmore and Chestnut in San Francisco's bustling Marina District, the sheer size of the establishment can't be understated. With the building hugging large portions of both cross streets, indoor and outdoor seating, two large floors inside, and a full capacity that numbers about 250, the Dorian has plenty of real estate to work with. So when we sat down with Benson Wang, founder and owner, we couldn't wait to figure out how they utilize all of the space and how they decided what works and what doesn't. Some of the things he told us make perfect sense. As you might expect with a property of its size, the Dorian is ideal for large private events. But some other decisions they've made, such as how they design their menu to the theme of the bar itself, provide a detailed look into the brains behind the operation. One thing to know about Benson is that he doesn't just operate the Dorian. He's the CEO of Palm House Hospitality, which operates three other SF-based bars and restaurants. Palm House, also in the marina, and Audio and Bergerac in Soma. The company also just took over and renovated the historic Flamingo Resort in Santa Rosa, which recently reopened to guests. Benson is a fourth-generation restaurant operator. Hospitality has been in his family for decades. As such, he had tons of experience to draw from that framed our conversation about the Dorian. Let's talk about that moment where you're like, we want to take over what was before Circa, I believe, and we want to convert it into what is now the Dorian. What was that initial moment like, and what was your vision for what this space would ultimately become? Yeah, so this was about seven years ago now. We had opened Bergerac and Audio, 
and Palm House on Union Street. And there were three main partners, myself, Anderson, and Jack. We all lived in this neighborhood and we had kind of bird dogged this location for a long time, you know, on Chestnut and Fillmore, iconic. I think it's the largest venue out here on Chestnut Street and great history, you know, long, long leg. And we looked at this property and we always look at a property and we, we try to figure out what's needed in the neighborhood. And we always wanted a comfortable bar with great cocktails and a great vibe. And we didn't feel like that existed out here. So we looked at the space, we were able to pick it up and we're thinking about the, you know, expanding on that. We wanted great craft cocktails, great music, great design, great food. And, and, and all the tie-in was we wanted something that was comfortable, but classic. So when we, when it came back to theme, San Francisco, there's a lot of history with the Victorian era and the turn of the century. So we, we looked for a tie in there and what we all loved collectively, one was whiskey and two was martinis. And the martini history, Jerry Thomas was a craft mixologist, quote unquote, of the time. And he created the martini out here in San Francisco in the Occidental Hotel. And so we found that tie-in with San Francisco, the turn of the century, Victorian era. And then that kind of led to Oscar Wilde and the portrait of Dorian Gray and the idea of excess and giving yourself permission to draw to V and just to live freely and enjoy. That's what we wanted to create here. We wanted a place where people felt comfortable but also transported when they walk in through design and an immersive experience where they can grab a burger or get a espresso martini out of this martini cart with smoke and gas and lights and just lots of fun. There's no reason that shouldn't be in the, in the marina. You mentioned it a little bit earlier. The size of the space is very unique to where we're at. There is no place that comes close to this size, especially on Chestnut. Can you talk a little bit about the challenges you've had to face or the opportunities you've had knowing that you can take a location that's right on a prime corner of Chestnut and Fillmore and create events or experiences that other places on Chestnut or even in the marina don't have an opportunity to do? Yeah, the size of this location is pretty amazing. Uh, we have a lot of frontage, right? So we've been able to really put our design forward on the outside facing the street. You know, we had Finch, who's a friend of ours and a, a great artist out here who put a mural on the Fillmore Corner, which was in great sharing his art with our community. And then inside, you know, the cool thing about this is we have three separate rooms. So we've been able to really play with that conceptually. We have the study, which is up here where we're sitting. You, you kind of have a, a darker, moodier vibe, but it has its private bar. So we can create events for our guests without disrupting the rest of the service. So we have a fair amount of birthday parties, graduation, bridal, you name it up here. We can separate the music. We've done game days up here. And then we have the, the drawing room, which is our main dining room. We have the bay windows over there. And then you have Chestnut and Fillmore. So it's very bright. We've lightened that up. It has a very feminine feel. So we do most of our big dinner events. We also have another bar down there for, for private events. And then separately, we have our main bar area, which is our stateroom. 
We have, you know, eight or so big cats, just really comfortable couch seating, and then some tables and a bar that holds nearly 30 people. So an island bar that you don't really see very often. It's been great just being able to share so many distinct events in one under one roof all at one time. Like last weekend, we had one of my best friend's wedding parties out here. The wedding was in one room. We had a BEO or banquet event upstairs. And then we had the bar and we had a DJ at the bar for late night. So it gives us a lot of creative opportunities. I know one of the events that you guys were doing for a while there was the Kentucky Derby, if I'm not mistaken. Is that something that you guys do as a staple? Do you guys have stapled events like that that you try to, to reoccur? Yeah, we, we love throwing events and we feel like that's one of our key differentiators and it's just something we enjoy. So we do a lot of in-house events and we'll, we'll throw a lot off the wall and some work and some don't, but the Kentucky Derby is just an America, American pastime and it really fit with that comfort American soulful activation or programming that we were looking for. So we've been throwing that since day one and you know, everyone gets dressed up. They come out here. We have an oyster shucking station outside. We watch the events. We, we, we do specials for in food and beverage programming. It's a fun event. So I think we're on our, you know, the last two years have been tough, but we, we've done seven events so far, which has been incredible. In talking about the pandemic with Benson, we knew he could share a lot of insight as to what it was like to operate not just one business, but many places all at once. We want to understand how it might have been different in his seat as compared to other places we have visited. There were a couple of things that stood out about what he shared. One, he and his team couldn't afford to sit on the sidelines. They had to move fast and make decisions quickly. And two, they threw a lot of ideas against the wall. Their intention was to stay open in some capacity throughout COVID, and so they had to figure out what was going to work and what wouldn't. So how did you, with the pandemic, we're going to shift here. Obviously, it's one thing when you own one location, one spot, and you have to manage people that are, you know, you're providing health benefits for and their livelihoods. But it's another animal when you have a full production company that's overseeing many different locations. What was it like for you? Or like, what was that oh shit moment where you were like, this is fucking serious. This is the real deal. And we got to think about all the people that, that work for us. Yeah, this entire thing has been an oh shit moment. I grew up in a restaurant family. I'm a fourth generation restaurant owner. My parents came here with nothing. Hospitality was their currency. And I didn't really embrace or understand what they were doing. You know, everything was done out of necessity for me, like visually, you know, through optics. They told me they were doing this to make a better life for me and my brother and our family. And then I studied business, I worked in finance, and sorry, I'm going on a huge tangent, but I came back into this industry because I loved service, hospitality, the creative, just ultimately the people, as you mentioned earlier. And leading up to this, I just been thinking about growth a lot and, and where our company can go and what's next. But I've always, I came to the realization that like this needs to stay. Like, our industry only survives as a mom and pop type operation, no matter what, no matter how big you get, you still need to instill that culture, that high touch, service, you know, gratitude, humility, teamwork. And I think the biggest oh shit moment was, I think I've, I've been okay in this role because of my intuition. I have the analytics that have been studied, but my intuition that came from just you know, growing up in a, an entrepreneurial family, 
But on March 16th, shelter in place uh, was put into effect. We had one day off. We brought everyone in that following day and we had to let go of 95% of our staff two days after announcement. And I didn't really think, I think a lot of this and what, what, what got us through this is, you know, like there wasn't this paralysis through overanalyzing. We had to make decisions. And when we sat down with our new team, it was like five of us in a room and we sat at Palm House and we, we created like this, the round table that was there for six months, just table of five people. And that was the oh shit moment. You know, we're like, what are we going to do? Right. We just got moving and luckily we have this incredible team that just rolled up their sleeves and we just did everything we fucking could. We sold everything we could. We just adapted and why we're in this business is we we have a bunch of empaths on this team that carry a lot of the burden and the stress of other people ahead of their own. And we just tried to harness that and continue to feed the community. So it was a humbling experience, but it was it was probably one of the most fulfilling experiences of my life. I don't know if that answers that. No, it definitely answers the question. So what were at that round table, like what were some of the ideas being thrown out before you knew that you could do to-go drinks? Do you remember some of those ideas just being thrown out there? Or was it always like, no, what we need to make sure we can do certain things before we just come up with an idea that we think that we can serve the community? Yeah. I think we were fortunate because we kind of saw off-premise cannibalizing our business before this happened. So luckily we had all the systems and tools developed, right? They were they were already online. You know, we weren't really using them a ton. Our properties are more experienced, four-wall driven. So, you know, we're not like a QSR. We're not selling a lot of takeout and to go. People want to come in and enjoy each other's company and the experience. But we flipped those online. So obviously we went delivering takeout. You know, luckily DoorDash, you know, had this restaurant advisory committee that I joined early on. So we were able to kind of stay at the forefront of understanding where things were going. They were really helpful and just really taking care of and, you know, being compassionate to the the merchants. And then where we really dug in was our core competencies, which, you know, we tried to stay with the experience. You know, at Palm House, we have a punch bowl that I, I think you've probably had a few of. And, <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> and we were like, shit, people are drinking at home, but they probably missed the punch bowl. So we packaged that thing up. We bubble wrapped that thing and just delivered that, Mm -hmm. you know, and we sold a ton of it and people were posting and supporting us and throwing palm house parties and decorating like luau style at home. It was pretty epic. And then one of our big breakthroughs, which was, was again on the experience side was we created cocktail kits and these aren't like the cocktail kits, like the fully batched cocktail. We did some of those too, but it was, you know, like the build your own cocktail, right? So we give you all the component parts. We give you the garnish. And then we we had a shaker or you can use your own shaker. And then we created a virtual happy hour happened once a week where we launched new cocktail kits. So our director of operations, Jeff and Fatima became household celebrities. And they they were doing these, they were just on... Instagram live every Friday for a cocktail kit class. So we'd sell these kits on DoorDash, Uber Eats, people come pick them up. There were a lot of people that came in every week and grabbed one or a few times a week. And then you go online, you watch them make it and you make it, we make it together, right? So like we, we want to preserve that human connection that everyone was longing for. Like, like people either like lock themselves up at home or 
left the country or left the state and or went home lived on their parents guest house but you know there were a lot of people like the marina Calhalla never slowed down you know i think we're we've, we're always going to be at full vacancy and you know we want to still create that human connection In addition to the pandemic response for his businesses, Benson used the last year plus as an opportunity to give back. The most sensible way to do this was by turning the virtual events his hospitality group was already putting on into events for a good cause. One event partnered with a nonprofit group, The Guardsmen, and raised over $100,000 through a virtual cooking and cocktail class. Another GoFundMe raised over $10,000 in meal kits and grants for his unemployed workers. His team has also served over 50,000 meals to the homeless through the organization SF New Deal. Knowing Benson personally for three years, it didn't surprise me to see how much he's given back to the community during this tough time for everybody. It's just an example of his selfless character. In talking over the menu with Benson, one newer creation they've introduced is their golden hour. This elevated take on the traditional happy hour transports patrons into a different time. I do appreciate that you guys do go forward with the $5 martinis in the golden hour. Like that is something that I don't think exists. I think it probably is one of the few places that does it. I don't know how you came up with it or Justin or whatever, but that is something that is, I think, unique and is kind of like a, a proper happy hour, if you will. Proper. Proper. Yeah. Yeah. So we we actually renamed our happy hour golden hour, right? It has like a more sensual... <laughs> vibe you know <laughs> it's more leisurely so part of that was we we wanted to have a lot of fun and, and let people again with the whole experiential transportive vibe we always one of our taglines is like the dorian's and ode to bygone era and you don't see like great deals anymore and and what we wanted to do is get people in here get a great deal right so we we do two house martinis that justin created and so we have a play on the dirty which what we call the magic mushroom and so you're getting a lot of that salinity or that salty but we're doing more of a savory play right so we're using mushrooms in it like a dried porcini and lots of different spices so it's more round you know it's more balanced you know because quite honestly like a dirty martini isn't that balanced i don't know if you've thought about it. it's like salt and vodka that's it yeah nice um it's delicious but and then the other is more of the classic the dry martini and so you know we've partnered with kettle one on that and so you're getting a five and that has sake it has uh, pandan which is this southeast asian uh, leaf that has like amazing flavors to it lots of vanilla so in custard so it's crisp but it's still round so those are five bucks so you know we just want people to come in here and have a jovial and engaging experience and not worry about their pocketbook but then on the other end of it we have our hog island the golden oysters so it's it's a hog island pacific northwest oyster with caviar company caviar and then 24 karat gold leaf just bomb and we have a 50 dollar gold leaf burger truffle aioli there's a bone marrow torchon wagyu like custom grind uh, pickled onions the bun is leafed with 24 karat gold, and then it sits in a bed of truffle fries. So spend your money on the burger. <laughs> don't spend your money on, on the martini is what you're saying. Yeah, you're yeah. Save, so save whatever you're going to be doing. That's balance right there. You there. Go. <laughs> that's, that's round. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, round. 
This has all been great. It's been great knowing you over the last few years and seeing you guys grow and seeing what's going on with Flamingo. And so this is your opportunity to kind of pub what you guys are doing and, and where, where you guys are going, not only with Flamingo, but other potential properties you guys are, are doing here in the city and elsewhere. In San Francisco right now, we have the Dorian, which is kind of new American tavern. We have Palm House, which is what we call Caltropical. It's our staycation destination of San Francisco. So great patio. We were actually, we just renovated the back room. We're, we're bringing some serious private dining vibes back there. And then we have Bergerac, which is on 11th and Folsom under Bergerac and Audio. It's right under Audio. So Bergerac is what we call impromptu house party. Saw you there the other night. So we have DJs there, you know, three days out of the week. And then Upstairs, we have audio, nightclub. So we have music-driven, obviously, dance club, discotheque. And we have some of the best DJs in the world that come through there. So we'll do DJ events, mainly Friday, Saturday, but we'll, we'll dabble on Thursday and, and Sunday as well. Um, and then if you're trying to get outside of the city, we, we actually just recently acquired the Flamingo Resort, which is um, a mid-century marvel out there built in the 50s. You know, five wings on 10 acres of land uh, with an Olympic-sized pool in the center. So what we're trying to do is just bring some, some of those Palm Springs mid-century vibes to the Bay Area. You know, and right now we have some great events and activations that we'll, we'll start introducing. And we have a lounge, a restaurant, the pool, 15,000 square feet of banquet space. So it's just a good escape, you know, if you want to spend the night outside of the city. You know, usually 15 degrees warmer than the city. Minimum. Yeah, minimum. Benson, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Best of luck with everything that you guys have going on and, and making it through this crazy times that we, you guys have had to deal with for almost two years now. So thank you for everything. Thank you for what you do. It's been great knowing you and, and, and can't wait to, to see what happens next with you guys. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right, taking a quick break. We're talking about Golden Rule Spirits. Joey, our writer, is here. Joey, you recently were engaging with another canned cocktail. But it wasn't just you. Tell us about this. Yeah, so I was up with a group of friends in Napa, kind of getting ready, pre-gaming a wedding. I had a few hours to kill before we had to get down to the ceremony. And canned cocktails were purchased and canned cocktails were cracked, so to speak. We purchased a Paloma variation of the canned cocktail. And there were about 10 of us in the group hanging out, getting ready before the wedding. And I took a couple sips of the Paloma and, and passed it around to about six or seven other people that I was with. And I'm sad to report, TJ, that of those six to seven people that tried the canned cocktail in question, the canned cocktail that shall not be named, I'd say zero of us enjoyed it. It was not a pleasant experience. So there you have it. If Joey would have had golden rule spirits on this trip, he would not have lost six to seven friends. And his current relationship is on the rocks now because he didn't have Golden Rule Spirits. So if you want to learn more about Golden Rule Spirits and not mess up your relationship, go to goldenrulespirits.com or at Golden Rule Spirits on Instagram. Make friends with Golden Rule Spirits. <laughs> After chatting with Benson, we also sat down with Justin Sheffy, the bar director at the Dorian. Justin provided us with a clear picture of how he put together the bar program, how each drink fits with the theme, and what he uses for inspiration. My brother worked at the Starlight Room in uh, Union Square. Yeah, top of St. Francis, right? Yeah, 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 top, yeah. top of the yeah the uh, Sir, Sir Francis, Francis Drake. Drake. Yeah. yeah, so at that time it was still Harry Denton Starlight Room. So he was working there. He was bar backing. 
I was working at Target full-time, and he asked if I wanted a, a Sunday brunch gig. Figured, what's the worst that could happen? Showed up to the interview. It was on a Sunday. It was a stage that turned into a 10-hour shift. Okay. Which I, I feel like is pretty industry standard. I didn't know, but it was a drag show brunch. Okay. Walked in. The attire for that shift was button-up, bow-tie, vest, and uh, dress slacks. Walk in, and all of the drag queens stop and look and ask what I'm doing there. I was like, oh, I'm here for a stage to uh, bar back. They look up, down, and say, you got the job. Okay. And I was like, oh, no interview, no nothing. Okay. And from that point on, it was just Sunday. And then luckily they liked how I worked. And then that turned into Friday, Saturday. Um, and then that turned into Tuesday through Sunday um, and so on and so forth. And that was the, the beginning. Amazing. And here you are at the Dorian. We're here at the Dorian right now. What is your official title? Bar director. Bar director. So what goes into being a bar director? Because of all the interviews that we've done, everyone has a little bit different title and it, it kind of crosses a couple different disciplines. So what, do you, what, what does that mean? What do you do for Dorian and, and the larger group? So here at the Dorian, cocktail creation, menu creation, Scheduling and all that, you know, the boring stuff, the more interesting is that cocktail creation, menu creation, and just building the culture behind the bar and just making sure the culture of the Dorian is being really reflected and shown how we want it to be from our staff to the guest. You can have an excellent bar, excellent location, but if you don't have the friendly culture that fits the bar, you can have a party culture in a restaurant that doesn't work, or you could have like a fine dining culture in a dive bar and that doesn't work either. So it's just curating what my bosses and what I want and what I guess the environment and the marina wants here on the corner of Chestnut and Fillmore and just making sure that it's reflected in a positive light. So what is that culture? I know it's, it's positive and, you know, the marina may have its own, you know, everyone may have its own thoughts about it or predisposed, you know, just inklings of what it's like to, to be in the marina. But like, what are you trying to convey as the culture behind the bar as the Dorian, as, as the greater organization or the greater facility? The culture that I want to bring just to the corner of Chestnut and Fillmore, I mean, this has been something I've been saying for the year that I've been back in San Francisco is I'm not trying to, to change or influence necessarily the culture of the marina or even Chestnut Street. It's just the corner of Chestnut and Fillmore here. And what I want to bring is what the Dorian is. It's light. It's fun. It's whimsical is a word that gets thrown out a lot. Um, if you're looking at our menu, it's very playful. Mm -hmm. Looking at our cocktails, the direction that we're going in, it's a full experience from the garnish to the glassware to the liquid inside. There's a reason behind everything. So right now, one of the spritzes that you're sipping on right now, you're starting to see it with your eyes, obviously, and there's a lot going on. And this is the orange blossom spritz. It is, yeah. Okay, yeah, okay. So in that, you've got the gorgeous AP wine glass. Not too much ice, but it's there. Garnishes, you've got a toasted cinnamon stick, you got the orange peel, you got your blueberries. Everything is playing a key role in there. Before you even taste it, you're smelling that orange and the cinnamon. It's absolutely beautiful in there. I and mean, then you start drinking it and you're getting that yuzu liqueur, tart, little bit of spice through that orange cinnamon tea. And it's the whole thing from beginning to end, from the point that it's touching your table to the point that it's taken away from your table and you're done with it. We want our presence to be known in that glass like if the bartender can't be there to guide you through it it almost doesn't need much guidance like you're you're seeing it you're smelling it you're feeling it you're tasting it and that's what we want to go for moving forward with all of our cocktails on the menu 
I love how you just went through the description because there obviously was a thought process and you were the one who came up and this is part of the golden hour menu, your take on happy hour. And you came up with the, you said you specifically came up with all the spritzes that were on there. So if we talk about this one specifically, like, or even the spritzes overall, we can take it however you'd like. How did you get from concept? Okay. I have an idea for spritzes to let's get it on the menu. Did you know you always wanted to do spritzes or do you're like, okay, happy hour, you know, it's always kind of sunny down here and everyone's whimsical and it's light. Like that's the feel that you wanted to go. Mm-hmm. Like, how did you even get started there? So during quarantine, I finally picked up every single book that I bought many, many years ago and just read away. And I read a book and it's just titled Spritz and great words inside the book. It's, you know, I'm not going to lie. It's a little bit dry, but great message within that book. And it goes through the history of how the Spritz came to be and just how big of a culture the Spritz culture is really in most all other countries, but especially in like the European countries, Italy, Spain does a lot. So that's kind of what sparked the interest because nobody that I've found really does that in this area. But what better area than right next to the water? Dang near always sunny. Might be breezy, but it's always sunny. I mean, people want to drink down here. So that was the original inspiration there. The next was the Spanish style uh, gin and tonic, I think is one fun Two, very creative and a very beautiful style to present something so, quote-unquote, simple. So if you go to like Bayota or what once was Barcino, just a lot of the tapas-style restaurants here in the city, they'll have a gin and tonic menu. I mean, you pick your gin, you pick your tonic, blah, 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 and they'll give you either a stemmed wine glass like you have here or a non-stemmed wine glass, and they'll pour the gin in for you, and then you add however much tonic you want. And then the garnish in it is playing a role to a certain point, but sometimes the garnish is just in there because it looks great, smells beautiful, X, Y, and Z. Uh, So what I wanted to take was the quote-unquote spritz culture and bring that into the Spanish style of gin and tonic where the garnish is playing a big role, but I wanted all of the garnishes to play a more key role with the cocktail itself. At this point, Justin brought up a topic that is central to his job as bar director, presenting ideas to the higher team for inclusion on the menu. This is clearly a massive responsibility for him, and it's easy to see why. It's his menu, and he wants to make sure the bosses and obviously his clientele respond well to what goes on it. And then you take the ideas themselves. How can Justin get people excited about an idea that might not seem, on first thought, that enticing? Think of an Aperol Spritz, for example. On its face, an Aperol Spritz is pretty simple. Some Aperol, Prosecco, and an orange slice. You can get one of those anywhere, right? Justin knew he had something with spritzes that would pop and knew it would work. But how could he convince his team to feel the same way? So you knew you wanted to go with the spritz because you said you had all these books and you picked up the spritz book. Did you have an idea? You're like, okay, I'm, I want to do something with spritz specifically or was it just like, you know what, I think I want to check this out a little bit more and I want to do something because personally, I love this drink. It's really great. It's very light. It's very flavorful. The way you're you're making it makes it interesting from a patron standpoint. Like you're doing the squeeze of the lemon, you're, you're lighting the uh, cinnamon stick on fire. It's really, really interesting. And oftentimes when you think of spritz, you think of Aperol spritz, right? And there's not a whole lot of, at least for us, you know, in this area, there's not a whole lot of deviation that we see with that. Um, so did you know you wanted to go spritz? I did. It was something... Did it take convincing of the of the higher-ups? It did. Oh, okay. 
So when I first presented this, the two martinis that are on the golden hour menu, myself and good friend and old bar manager of the Dorian, um, his name is Ilya. He worked on the martinis, then he and I kind of came together and the final product is what it is. Um, and Benson was all about them, um, which I am too. They're, they're great. But Benson's vision was like $5 martinis. Where the hell else can you get a top shelf $5 martini during golden hour or happy hour anywhere in the city, let alone the marina? And on top of that, not just a $5 martini, like it's a specific house martini. So that was his big thing. And when we sat down as a group and we started talking about it, I said, I want to do three spritzes sitting around the table. Nobody, not even a moan or a groan. Like I would have taken a moan or a groan over the silence that I got. And finally, uh, Jeff, director of ops was like, yeah, I mean, like work on it. And like, you know, come to us with an idea. Maybe a couple of weeks later comes up again and. There's a little bit more like, yeah, 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 put it together. Let's see what we got. Um, but not like too much excitement. And then we did our first tasting. And I think everybody was quite surprised and like taken back from the presentation to the flavor to, to everything. And, and each spread. So the tea garden, for example, is a, a slight take on a Hugo spritz, which is something every now and then we'll get them ordered. And they are good. They're light. They're refreshing. But I just wanted to do something a little bit more fun with that, but use the Hugo Spritz as like the bones, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with the the Veins Rose, keep the Aperol Spritz as kind of the bones of it, but do our own fun Dorian spin on that. So all these are have, have an original take to it. I mean, you have an idea of like what the background or like blueprint was, but you're like kind of deviating to, to what you think would work well together. We'll just use all the spritzes as an example. Like how many different iterations did you have to go through until you actually like got to what you wanted to present to the larger team? Yeah, the one that you're sipping on here, the Orange Grove, was the most iterations for sure. I would say it was the most frustrating for me. I was just like, why aren't you working? Because I wanted it to be... so. Each one of them, the veins rose bright red, the tea garden, a little bit hazy, like a little cucumber in there and a little bit of lime juice. So it's clear-ish, but a little bit of haze to it. And then I wanted one that was completely, almost looked like water or soda water. The first iteration of this one was that, but the flavors were so mild. So to up those, obviously it changed the color quite a bit. So I would say the orange grove, I'll say eight. Eight iterations. Eight iterations. Yeah. And that's from garnish to, to everything. I couldn't decide on a garnish for this thing for the longest time. The veins rose three, and then the tea garden, one and done. Wow. Yeah, that was, was cross fingers. That never happens. Okay. Never once. I'm That is not a flex or anything. That never happens. And, and are you then giving it to different people, you know, at the bar? Are you giving it to Benson? Or like, who are you giving it to to make sure that what you think you got is right? Like, what? how does that approval process, how does that work here? So, I'll obviously taste it myself. If I'm like, eh, it's okay or it's great, then I'll taste everybody else on it. Because Lord knows not everybody has my palate and they wouldn't want to if they could. <laughs> so, my process for it is work on it you know, R&D. And once it's to a point where I'm like, you know what, that's good. And it might be great to everybody else. And Mm -hmm. if that's the case, I'm not going to complain. The Tea Garden and Veins Rose, pretty much every iteration, everybody was like, no, that's, don't change anything. That's good. This Orange Grove here, 
nobody liked it until this one. Until you got it. So the process with the powers at B, you know, I'll set up a tasting, be nervous the whole time, and then just put them down and walk them through. And kind of like uh, any of those reality chef shows, you're just kind of standing there sweating. And then you just hear if they have anything to say, good or bad, and you go from there. Is that the process for all the cocktails? It is. On the menu? It is, yeah. Um, So normally we'll do iterations of about three at a time. So we won't usually switch the menu up like, oh, all 12 cocktails are now, you know, completely different and we're going to spend two hours doing this tasting. We'll usually do about three at a time. But yeah, that is is the process. Uh, But it's a fun process. Early in my cocktail creating days, I would almost throw up before every tasting. I would just be so nervous, you know? And I don't know if it was uh, like I want them to like it so bad or if I just don't want to hear that they don't like it so Mm -hmm. bad. But now I'd welcome the criticism Mm -hmm. and the being able to almost guide somebody through like why they might not like it, Mm -hmm. you know? Because obvious, if you like this spritz, the next person might not. Like it might be a little bit too tart. might be like the cinnamon might be very off-putting to them. The veins rose a little bit more on the bitter side. So being able to like take that and then guide them to something that I think they would like, that's the fun part. Hearing Justin talk about his process for developing a cocktail and presenting it to the wider team was really cool for us to dig into. Personally, I never thought about the things the way that Justin described them, but it makes a lot of sense after listening to his experience. Think about it. It's the same way that one might get nervous before a presentation to their boss or before an interview at a new company. So it makes perfect sense that presenting this display of creativity comes with some trepidation. When it comes to inspiration, nervousness doesn't exist for Justin. What do you do or what do you use or who do you look at as like inspiration when you're coming up with a new cocktail from scratch? How do you even start? I would say personal inspiration, that list is endless, depending on, you know, what cocktail you're trying to make, what the base spirit is, if you want it to be spirit forward, if you want it to be juice forward, if you will, if you want it sweeter, tart, like whoever. I mean, they're just here in San Francisco. There are so many great bartenders that I would say inspire me in the sense of like, I don't know how the hell you came up with that, but you did it. If I were to have a blank canvas and was told, you know, we want uh, eight to 12 cocktail menu, um, go have some fun. Honestly, going into the bar or restaurant, getting a feel for what that environment is and what it should be, what the clientele is like, what the clientele really leans toward. You know, I've worked at some places where, you know, a a margarita style or a, a spin on that doesn't sell worth crap because all they want is Manhattans, Negronis, those spirit-forward cocktails. Honestly, I I think I enjoy creating those cocktails a little bit more. You can have a little bit more fun with genuine flavors you're looking for. So we've done one here at the Dorian. It was a coconut oil wash Campari with a coffee-infused sweet vermouth and then a, sorry, a Wagyu fat-washed tequila. All three of them coming together. Yeesh. Yeah. It doesn't sound great. Yeah. Um, but you put them all together and it was fantastic. Yeah. Didn't put it on the menu because Wagyu fat wash anything is way too expensive. That's what say. <laughs> um, and we don't have, at the time, we didn't have Wagyu beef. So yeah. I literally ordered it, had the chef cook it. We did nothing with the meat. Oh, wow. I think we gave it out to like the team. <laughs> so stuff like that is a lot of fun. And 
finding the inspiration behind all of that is really just the what, what am I creeping up on? Eleven, almost eleven years in the industry, and just working with those specific people that just have that different level of creativity, and, and really just pushing yourself to that same level. I'm not saying anybody can do it like that, but everybody is creative in their own way, and I think cocktails are a way that any form of creativity can really be expressed through it. It's just whether or not you want to push yourself to get there or not. Got it. Yeah. Those sleepless nights through those like iterations. Do you ever, do you have like a journal or anything? Are you constantly like, you come up with an idea and you're like, oh shit, I'm in the middle of a, a shift or like I'm in the middle of the night and I, that something dawns on you. Do you like, how do you keep track? So I would say up until maybe three years ago, I always kept a little notebook or a little notepad in my back pocket and just kept it with me every shift, everywhere I went. Even when I was barbacking, I always had it just picking up little nuances like what I would or wouldn't do if I was at that time. I was like, if I ever run my own bar, you know? So yeah, I've uh, probably 400 pages of chicken scratch. (laughs) Now for Justin's last call submission. And believe us when we say this story is easily one of the best we've heard thus far and hard to believe it actually happens. This has been awesome. This has been a great conversation, like really good insight into just everything from how you come up with the cocktails, your history, to what you want to work with. It's all been really great, but I want to end on something a little bit lighthearted and fun. Okay. This is what we're calling the last call segment. We're asking everybody who's been on the show, like, what is the most outrageous, funniest, just unbelievable situation that has happened with somebody at the bar that you've experienced, whether it's here at the Dorian or somewhere else, like something you're just like, holy shit, like I can't, like if you were to tell the story, you wouldn't believe it. And we can keep names out of it. For example, people last rights, when we interviewed them, they told a story about one person happened to have fallen asleep in the bar and they locked up thinking that the bar was empty and that person ended up like staying in the bar all night, you know? So like <laughs> there is no, no story that can't be told. All right, this was, this gets gotta be at least top three. Within my first month working at the Starlight Room, everybody was such a vet, um, especially working nights. I think the newest person was like six years he had been there. I'm barbacking, and I broke my wrist the first day that I worked. First day, walk in, bright pink Wait, the, wait, the, wait, the first day, like the one where they like looked you up and down? No, and they no, said, no. First okay, official, okay. like on paper, okay, you're okay. hired, here we go. Uh, it was a Friday, actually, no, it was uh, New Year's Eve. Come in with a quarter cast, bright pink. Mm -hmm. Bar manager is just like, I made a fucking mistake hiring you. Are you kidding me? First, okay, whatever. And I was like, no, no, no. One-handed, I'll still be better than these Joe Schmoes behind me. I was not. Um, (laughs) I was definitely not better than either of them. So bar racking, doing whatever. We're probably five people deep around the whole bar. I overhear one of the bartenders say, hey, I got to go pee, watch my well, thinking he's talking to me. I'm like, dude, I don't know how to bartend. This is my first day barbacking. And he's like, no, 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 just stand in my well. So I stand in his well, zips down, pulls it out, just starts pissing in the sink. And nobody can, on the bar side, nobody can see. He's literally just standing there. Yeah, what do you want? Okay, got you. Acting like he's taking orders. Zips it up, goes right back to work. (laughs) First, first night official bar backing uh, with a broken wrist. I thought I got myself into a whole lot no, more than I could handle. No, no way. So, night, so he just he just right then and there behind the bar. I asked. I was like, "Is this a is this a thing in bars?" And the bar manager at the time was like, "It's a thing at this bar." It's a uh, thing. <laughs> because the so there was one one urinal, one stall 
that was open. Mm-hmm. And then the employee restroom was the entire length of the club down and then upstairs and then back down the entire. Mm-hmm. When you're five feet, they were just like, we need to make money. Don't leave. <laughs> yep. That's got to be close to number one. That's that's epic. That's going to be hard to beat. That's going to be really hard to beat. Incredible story. Justin, thank you so much for your time. This is awesome. Thank Thanks you for, for all the insight. Me. Really appreciate it. Is there anything you want to plug about like what's going on with the Doran, with you know the, now the, the bar program, now the pandemic's like slowly opening up and you guys can have people inside? Anything you want to share or anything that people should know about? You know, honestly, I would say the golden hour launch and everything like that, but people are responding so well right now. I mean, obviously, I want everybody to come in and try these um, and be a part of this fun culture we're we're building here on Chestnut and Fillmore at the Dorian. But I'm happy to be here and happy to uh, bring in this culture. Awesome, man. Well, we wish you best of luck with everything opening back up. I think you guys have done a good job with the parklets and everything. Appreciate that. For whatever reason, this was this place always seemed to be a turnover at this corner, and you guys have really done something great here. So congrats and that. excited to see what you guys have in store in the future. I really appreciate that. Awesome. Thank Thanks, man. That wraps up our visit to the Dorian. Thanks so much to Benson and Justin for their time and insight. Again, the Dorian is at Chestnut and Fillmore and is fully open and ready for your visit. You can follow them at the Dorian SF on Instagram and check out the rest of Benson's properties at palmhousehospitality.com. Next time on The Muddler, a San Francisco cocktail giant. We sit down with Kevin Dietrich, the founder of the beloved and renowned Pacific Cocktail Haven. The Muddler is a Studio Pod Media original podcast. I'm your host, TJ Bonaventura. Our writer is Joey Mezzatesta. Editing and music provided by Notalap. For more information, make sure you subscribe and rate us anywhere you listen to podcasts. Go to themudlerpodcast.com or follow us on Instagram at themudlerpodcast.com.